Hello and welcome to Strangers Shopping Strangers, podcast number 69. A big welcome back to anybody who's returning and thanks for stopping in to anybody who's new this week. Well, this week's episode is coming in about two weeks past my original scheduled time with a fully legitimate excuse of being on the Dead & Company mini East Coast tour. I had had the best of intentions of finishing this up and airing it after the Atlanta, North Carolina run and before Hartford and New York City, but when I got home from North Carolina, I was down for the count with what I'm now considering the wook flu. I think there was um, just way too many things being passed around, and, and it got me good. So this week's episode is with a deadhead named Eric Edholm, and Eric and I met through Twitter. Eric is probably more known in the sports world, uh, in particularly the National Football League, as he is a journalist for Pro Football Weekly and some other really cool publications. When we connected, he was excited to talk about doing a podcast on a totally different passion of his, which is, of course, the good old Grateful Dead. So Eric picked songs that were all from Alpine Valley, a set of songs that come from the shows that were July 17th, 18th, and 19th, 1989. And then he picked one other awesome selection from an 82 show. And you know, it seems fitting for me to finally be doing this intro today because both I have mostly regained my voice after all of the talking, singing, and screaming from the mini tour. And also because today is June 22nd, which is the day that the boys are going to be playing at Alpine tonight and tomorrow. And you know me, I'm always looking for that little bit of serendipity. Uh, There it is. You know, with summer coming up and things just being so nuts with all these shows and and so much going on, I think I'm going to take the frequency of the podcast episodes from twice a month down to once a month. Two years and 69 episodes into this amazing journey, set off to meet some cool like-minded people. And, you know, all I can say is, wow, I have met so many former strangers that have now become friends. I am just, I'm so grateful for that. And now I want to take the time to go hang out with them and hear some live music and, uh, and yeah, enjoy the journey. I'm going to be looking at every four weeks. And for those who are looking for, you know, more podcasts, definitely you should check out the Osiris Podcast Network, which is the uh, family podcast that Strangers Shopping Strangers is part of. There are some really cool podcasts uh, within the family, a couple of dead-related ones, Broke Down Podcast, No Simple Road, some fish podcasts, um, some podcasts on other topics that are made by deadheads, Fear of Craft Beer. Those guys are totally cool. So definitely go over to the website and check it out, www.osirispod.com to see who is in the family. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy, and I will catch you in a month. Thanks. Eric Edholm, welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers. I'm excited. Let, let me just quickly tell you how excited I am because I, you know, I do podcasts, I do radio stuff, but as you know, I am in the sports realm when I do most of this stuff, and, and I'm mostly NFL football. But when I get a chance to to rap about some dead or any other music that I love, I mean, this is this is cool stuff, Stacey. So I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Well, I am. 
am so excited to have you here. And I, I'm going to give the listeners a little backstory. So, you know, I do a lot of social media with Strangers Shopping, Strangers Twitter, Instagram, and you popped up on my feed and had yep. a little check mark. I mean, I, I'll, I admittedly will tell you, I, I don't follow NFL <laughs> so right. much. Right. But anytime I get a little check mark, I'm like, who's this official person? You know, like, who is it? <laughs> and then sometimes it's a bot and, you know, whatever. And then sometimes I'll do a little hey now or, you know, like, are you dead? And then we got the messaging going, and uh, it made me so happy because it's the whole we're everyone, we're everywhere, yeah. you know? I, oh, it's funny too because sports isn't like the most buttoned up industry of all time, but you meet some people who wear suits every day, and you meet people who are, you know, on camera a lot and they're clean cut and clean shaven and all this stuff, and you just know them for what they are right they're sports writers sportscasters whatever and i meet them at various places and and then you you find out oh wait you listen to the dead too and we get in these crazy conversations so there are a few of us not a ton but like you said it crosses pretty much every line out there we've got we're millions strong you know and and i think there's been a revival the last few years obviously and you get younger people into it. It's cool. And so, yeah, when I, I, I saw you were part of some thread and forget what the, the thing was that I saw that made me follow you. I was like, oh, and she's got a podcast too. This is cool. So I'm, I'm, I love the, uh, the serendipity of it all. Always. Well, it's what makes it all special. Well, we were talking before we started this official podcast. I am like high energy, fresh off opening day from Mansfield, Like, so fucking pumped. Yeah, tour is on, baby. You're my first conversation after, I think I'm like still high from the show. (laughs) Uh, Metaphorically, anyways. Right. (laughs) If I can get a metaphorical contact high from your energy, I will absolutely take it. I am metaphorically still high, and it was so fun. And, yeah, just the people and the shakedown and the dancing and the friends and the family, and, oh, my goodness, there's just nothing like it. It's, you know, your worst dead show is better than your best day doing anything else. (laughs) I used to have an X-rated version of that, you know, that I'll keep – you know, if you, if you really want to know, you can message me on Twitter and I'll tell you the story. But yeah, I used to have an X-rated version of what you just said. My buddy and I always say like, you know, the, your worst show is still like bad. You know what? You know, so oh, yeah. yeah, no, exactly. there is no I'll, I'll go ahead and finish my version. There's no such thing as a bad blowjob from, from what I've heard. Yes, that is the exact thing. I don't want to be <laughs> my first time on the show. Well, I, didn't know I what, said it and I've never had a. I don't you know, I right. I technically have never had one so i'm just going with what i've heard out there yes you know, you know well right exactly <laughs> uh, i work in the liquor business so i work in a theoretical <laughs> locker room myself so hey like sports very much so yes there's nothing these virgin ears haven't heard or probably <laughs> have repeated at some point so right you know, so i'm a whiskey peddler what can i say <laughs> so man so okay well so this is where we met but i mean the podcast is all about what brought you to this day to this conversation and we selected doing some uh, set lists from alpine because you are yeah. out in the midwest but your story starts in northeast so yeah. tell me a little bit about you know how you discovered the music and you know what what brought you in yeah my my parents are from chicago but i grew up in boston i grew up north of boston uh in, in a town called haverhill massachusetts and then eventually andover mass and so i was you know, I grew up there, and and as you know, uh, you know, knowing the area as, as you do now, that's 
there's a pretty good little enclave there of East Coast dead deadheads, and they they go all the way up to Maine, and they're strong in New York, and and Massachusetts has a good little uh, a little following there, and and so. But growing up, I mean, it's funny. I wasn't. I probably listening to much dead stuff until I was probably in sixth grade, and. That was the first experience I had. Now, this would have put me right around the touch of gray single release era. And I had a social studies teacher who was like this cool guy. Like he was the cool teacher, right? You know, and, you know, looking back, you know, I could typecast the guy now and everything. You know, he definitely went to shows with his college buddies and stuff. And he was probably about a 24, 25 year old dude at the time. And I remember him ragging on touch of gray at a, at a you know, at a class one morning. And he said he'd been to the, I think it was the Sullivan Stadium now where the New England Patriots play, but uh, the location is the same, Foxborough, Mass. But he had been to shows over the weekend, and somebody said, oh, did they play Touch of Grey and all that? So that was probably my first exposure to the band where I kind of was, like, curious about them. And I had a few friends who were sort of, you know, had, like, the older brothers who would go to shows. And so I slowly kind of seeped into that scene, and it really wasn't until probably – I would say eighth or ninth grade that I started kind of listening to them. But again, it was like sort of baby steps, studio albums, you know, just brief exposures here and there. And then it really wasn't until probably freshman year, high school, sophomore year, high school that I started. I had a friend, Josh Pike from Vermont, who was like, you know, 200 shows deep in his tape collection. You know, he'd record tapes for me and stuff. And that was really when I first started getting into the band. So this would have been like 89, 90, that kind of range. I love that you are making an apology for having getting into it in sixth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. No, I mean, I think it's fucking awesome because you'll you'll talk to people and they'd be like, well, you know, I was like 45 when I first heard it. And I feel like I like kind of missed like, you know, the child and the teenage. And I mean, I I just have to pause and say. I think sixth grade is, is, is good. You know, I mean, I, not a lot of people start in second or third grade. So I think you're, I think you're on the early onset, you know, from, from my conversation. Yeah. It's not like I had parents <laughs> who were into it. I mean, my parents may have liked, you know, like Paul Simon or something like that, but they weren't really into that scene. So I didn't have brothers or sisters. So I had to kind of you know, venture outside the house to kind of get my music stuff. So you had to wait all the way till sophomore year till you were, know. you know, a seasoned teenager at that point before uh, <laughs> to before really uncovering the stones. That's so exactly fucking awesome. No, I I'm in the same exact. I think we're about the same age. I want to say my first show was '88 through via the older sister connection. So I, I had that edge. But um, I was in high school. I mean, I was between freshman and sophomore year. I mean, my parents were deadheads and there was no fucking way they'd let me go to a show before that. You know, I oh. mean, I think it was Frost local, you know, like right. Stanford shopping mall. It made my nice Jewish mom like, oh, what bad things can happen at Stanford shopping? <laughs> mall? So, like, that's how I got to my first show. I certainly wasn't a I actually a sidebar. There's a guy named Woody that I know out here in Western Mass. And this is like the great fable story to me. Woody grew up. He's my husband's age. He's 51. Okay. He's done some done some work at our house works with a friend of ours. And apparently Woody went to Egypt. Oh, 78. Right. So if Woody's 51, he was born in 67, as my husband was. So 78, he was 11, which is my son's age. And with some friends 
And my son and I still talk about the fuck did Woody go to Egypt with some friends when he was your age? You know? Yeah. Hey, mom, you mind if I fly to like, you know, Egypt? Yeah, it's that cool. We get a direct flight. That'd be even better. You know, I'm just going to go for three nights. You know, no big deal. It's going to be, you know, out in front of the pyramids, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. We won't, we won't transfer through Morocco. I know there's some bad shit going on there. You know, we'll, we'll stay out of Israel. You know, like, what the fuck? 78, you know? Like, yeah. so my son will look at me every now and again and be like, did Woody really go to Egypt in 78? And I'm like, I, I, he said he did. You know, yeah. like, I mean, I don't know. I, well, I don't know for no reason to, to argue with the man about it but it seems right. pretty far-fetched but. i didn't see his ticket stub but right yeah. well so eric you're no woody all right we'll start there but you know so we're we're in high school and you know you're no uh, woody but go exactly. on <laughs> i try my best i had a friend in college named woody so as you were telling this story i was having flashbacks to him he's a deadhead too so that's pretty funny maybe they were together maybe they were he he <laughs> my my woody i can't believe i just said that but my woody was uh <laughs> probably born in about 73 so i'm doubting he was there yeah it'd be a fantastic story if he was though right oh like, sure oh, okay. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness so we're in high school you are in the north shore and you start yep. listening to the band and yeah, I mean, it wasn't like an overnight thing. Like it wasn't like, oh, I, you know, I heard the Cornell show and my life was changed. You know, it was a gradual thing. And it's funny because right around that same time, I think you had kind of like the blues traveler kind of phenomenon going on. You had, you know, you had other little jam bands that were kind of springing up. Ominous Sea Pods, remember them? And, you know, you had other little bands like that that were kind of you know fish was coming up from vermont and so i was kind of absorbing a lot of these things at the same time i would say the dead obviously had a little head start and you know it wasn't obviously till the boston garden show in 91 that i popped my cherry or whatever but you know i i still had one toe in, in that other water and you know widespread panic and things like that and black crows and i had a lot of other bands in that in that same sphere that i liked but you know, at some point, there was just this kind of mystery about the dead. There was a fascination. They were kind of the, the forefathers. There was something about them that was just a little different from all those other bands. They're all great, you know, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of held them with some reverence at some point. But it wasn't like one night or one day or one show. It just flipped over for me. It was a real gradual thing. So it took, you know, kind of two or three years. And then once I was in, I was in. You know, I even stayed along and I went to some shows in 95. They weren't great shows. Some of them were, you know, you had to struggle to find two or three songs that were really great, you know. And so I was tuning my critical ear at the time and, and sad that I didn't get in a little sooner because they played a bunch of shows in 88, 89, 90 in, in, in Boston and such. But I regretted the fact that I hadn't gotten in like a little earlier, but I also try to soak up as much as I could and it's because by 95 I don't know what you felt but like everybody kind of felt like wow they've only got you know not obviously projecting knowing Jerry would die but like oh they've only got a couple years left and you know even the fall tour in 95 the tickets already gone out people are kind of like ho-hum about the whole thing and so it was like I'm just gonna go see him as many times as I can and enjoy it while I can and hopefully have a good run and that's it that's kind of the deal well, that makes a ton of sense. And it's interesting, like hearing your story and thinking about my perspective from the same time, because 
and, and how different the world is now with the internet versus when it was then, because my experiences sure. were so West Coast. You know, being a Bay Area girl, Fish didn't really come on our scene until later. And when I think about the bands that they played with, it was Little Feet or it was Santana yeah. or it was, you know, Los Lobos, right? Like Los Lobos was such a California local band that Jerry Doug played with. So it's yeah. so interesting just thinking about 30 years ago, you know, what the cultural differences are, you know, to like who came out or what was in the mix. Yeah, by the late 90s, I I mean, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I couldn't tell you what my last show was, you know, it was sometime around 94, 95. And I, yeah, I mean, it just kind of sort of slowed down. And if it was something that you could grab, and it worked, and you could do it, we did. But I don't think I had any, I don't really feel like I had any idea that it was going to be over. You know, I think it's like okay. when you're young, you just figure that whatever you're into is just going to kind of go forever. And I don't think I gave it enough thought at the time, you know? Yeah. I, I do know that like I had, you know, I would get a couple like newsletters. I forget what was like the Dupree Diamond. The Dupree Diamond Blues. Yeah. The, the, the Terrapin <laughs> Flyer. <laughs> yeah. You know, the first time I remember getting online in my life, think about this, it would have been like fall of 94, something like that. And I remember sort of like stumbling on one of those wreck dead, you know, chat room things and being kind of overwhelmed. But people were, I did feel the negativity by that point. I did, feel, and this is even coming off, you know, what was actually a great run at the Boston Garden in 94. By then I was in college and I was not in that area. I was in Missouri, but you just get those little flickers of like, wow, you know, the, like the Boston Garden run, you know, 94 still holds up. You know, I would put it up against some of those any show from that little like two year span and you, you know, you would get, you would hang on to hope of, Hey, you know, I went to a Memphis show in, in, on April fools in 95 with this girl I had a brief fling with at the time. And such a crazy story. Like she wanted to go. We've been dating about two weeks. Of course we're madly in love, you know, <laughs> you know, let's go to Memphis. And it, you know, from where I was, it was about a six and a half hour drive and I was not doing well in school and I had a billion things to do. And I was like, April Fools, let's go. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, I still remember the foolish heart from that night. It was really good. Or I remember the, you know, take me to the river they played that night. Or, so there were still like these little like glimpses of life that were flickering in the band. And um, and that's honestly what made me go to, I don't mean to keep dragging this out, but oh, no. I didn't go to the last show, but I went to the penultimate show. I went to the, the, the Saturday night show at Soldier Field. Didn't plan to, wasn't going to, I was actually in Boston for the summer, but a bunch of my friends were coming up from Missouri. I had like a plane voucher from something, I forget why, and I was like, I'm using it on this, I'm just going, I couldn't stay for Sunday at a job. So I went out there just for the one show, had a great time, and it wasn't like a fantastic show or anything, but you know, I got to see the second to last dead show ever, and it was sort of bittersweet, you know, it was like a, a good little... Yeah, yeah. It, was good, it was a good decision to go do that. Yes, and absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, like Wednesday night, the first show, I mean, yeah, I had the best time, you know, hanging with my girls, got to hang out with a new friend, Darcy, and run into my friend Nina, and just, it, it was all these amazing women, and such a good time, and we just, it was what everyone needed, just to, like, let loose, get their dance on, forget, you know, their, whatever else was going in, on in their life, and the biggest concern was, you know, am I going to be able to, like, jump down two rows? <laughs> I, I mean, and when that's your biggest concern for an hour, like, life's pretty fucking good, but, like, yeah. if you want to technically break it all down eh, you know it wasn't their best show but it was the best time and I think it's like 
I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, when you're critiquing and looking at things, I mean, the, the, your experience you have and the technical aspects sometimes are not concurrent. And it's interesting, like hearing you talk and thinking, you know, right, being following the NFL, being a sports writer and, you know, very right. immersed in the sports world. And I'm in the wine and spirits industry as my day job. I've made the comparison a, a handful of times, and I think it's fairly accurate. I mean, on this podcast is it reminds me the dead years uh, remind me of vintages. They remind me the eras remind me of like certain vintages. And I'm sure, sure. you could make the exact same analogy to sports. You might have had an off year, but they had a couple great games or, yeah. you know, there was a player that really stood out, like was just an MVP regardless of the team he was on. I mean, I feel like like being a Bay Area girl, like the 49ers in the 80s. I mean, it was an era. It was a time, you know, but it doesn't mean every game was great. And if you jumped in and started watching the 49ers, you know, in the early 2000s, you'd have a totally different experience. Oh, right? that's a fantastic analogy. I mean, that really is that's, that's perfectly said because just because you, you bring back the, the team that won the Super Bowl the next year doesn't mean you're going to win it again. I mean, you know, they, it's, like a, it's like a mathematical formula with a billion variables and any one little thing goes wrong and the chaos theory kicks in and everything. You know, it's just like you're having a show. You know, you, you have, you know, the drummer, you know, has financial troubles. He's going to be dragging a little that night or he's hung yeah. over. It, it's, it is crazy to think everything that goes into – the magic that lines up for those great nights. Absolutely. And there's so many factors we can't even imagine, right? I mean, obviously the, the main ones are like Jerry's health, Brent dying. There were some like huge, you know, things, but like what exactly, like the, what created the magic and what's really kind of bittersweet is I, I mean, especially in like the late eighties, you know, that Brent era time that I feel like we came up on some of that best stuff was when Brent was just on fire, but I mean, he was so tortured, you know, it was like the pain brought the, brought the pleasure. Like he was just so fucked up that he was amazing. Right. I mean, that sounds awful, but it's true. No, it is. And, and like, you know, maybe the stage was his salvation and maybe that was the place where he could able to, you know, he could get away from everything else that was going on, go up there for two and a half hours, you know, get his one or two songs a night and just do his his thing. And he added such a unique thing to the band. And you're right. It's crazy to think because I had friends who were at that last run of his July of 90. Yes, July of 90 yeah. in Chicago. I have lots of friends in this area. I still live up here now. But yeah, and they were saying that those three shows, his last three shows were some of Brent's best of that era. Like he was just on fire. He had a song every night played great he sang backup great he was just that perfect i thought you know really a driving force for the band at times but you're right you look at what he's going through off the you know off the stage it's kind of wild yeah no i'm sure there's a lot going on back then but he he played through it i think you yeah. know some of the best art and some of the best music art anything comes from pain you know mm-hmm. which is which is really it, it brings the realness, you know, that people respond to. I think um, otherwise you just have like Barry Manilow, right? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. Coca Cabana, you know, there's a, you know, it's pretty simple chorus line, you know, like that's what I grew up. Chorus, yeah, right. Yeah, it was. It wasn't very emotional, but it was consistent, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, right? Yeah. It was always a good time at the Coca Cabana, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was, I think, that was my parents' soundtrack in the seventies. <laughs> but uh, so on this podcast, we like to talk and play music and kind of 
right in this era that and where you live now was kind of yeah. the theme of the music that we picked out. So perfect song to kick off this podcast, this tour, this summer. Tell us a little bit about your first pick from Alpine Valley that go into play. Yeah, and if, and if you anyone listening who's never been to Alpine, I say make a way to get there. I, I know they say that about Red Rocks, and then Red Rocks is its own thing, and you know there are other you know, the Greek or other vaunted venues around the country, they're all great. They all have their own little thing. But Alpine, to me, if you're going to go to an amphitheater, that's the choice. I, I just think it's a special place. It's kind of carved out of this little green rolling hills in southern uh, Wisconsin. It's a beautiful place, middle of nowhere. It's basically a ski bump in the middle of Wisconsin. And it's got this wood roof pavilion. It was always one of my favorite places to see shows. They almost shut it down. They didn't have any shows there last summer. So... Dead & Company, I think, are going to be some of the first shows since they've now reopened. I, I don't remember if they've done any since, but idea is that we're kind of lucky to still have it. There was talk about closing this place down. So, yeah, I went back to three of my choices are from the same run, but <laughs> I, I couldn't help it. You know, the, the, the final dead run in 89 at Alpine, um, and it was supposedly one of the favorite places of the, of the band to play. And so they kicked off a three-night run that all three nights have great stuff with – it's a cover, but it's one of my favorite covers, a little Sam Cooke song there. And, uh, you know, I just feel like Let the Good Times Roll is always a great opener. I only got it once. I think I only saw it one time in, in my dead uh, experience. And the rest of the first set is excellent. I mean, the China Rider is outstanding and the Built to Last is actually really, really good. Uh, this it's funny because some of the songs you wouldn't expect to be great are actually great from that show. But to me, and if you love Brent, you're going to love his little exclamation at the end. So let the good times roll is the opener for seven seventeen eighty nine. Let's let the good times roll and we will come back a few more songs and a little more chat.
listening to Let the Good Times Roll on June 17th, 1989. And you know, we were, uh, we're not going to go too far on our journey in terms of the music we're listening to because, I mean, this, this Alpine Valley set list is, is one, two, three in a row. But, I mean, the yeah. show. <laughs> It'd be like, you know, we'll get on our time machine and go backwards and forwards, but we're just camping out here at Alpine Valley, man, for the next three days. Like we're, yeah. uh, <laughs> we got our, it's, and it's funny you say that too, because I don't know if you know this, the thing about Alpine is they've got this huge field around the perimeter that acts as like the parking lot. So they actually changed kind of the configuration of that place because of the dead. Like, wow. this place opened in 77, all right? And then it was, you know, it was sort of just a local John. Nobody really knew it outside the Midwest and all that. But the Dead rolled in there in 1980, I want to say. 80 or 81, I forget. They ended up playing in 20 shows there. You ask anybody who worked there, who's in the Midwest music scene, who's been to Alpine, they know. Dead changed that venue. Like, all of a sudden... Petty was rolling in and Springsteen and, you know, it was Aerosmith and all these other bands wanted to play there because the dead made it a destination. And so that camping area was never a camping area because they would not allow it. They, you know, it's like any other venue. You got to, you got to get out. You can't, you know, you don't have to go home. You can't stay here. That whole thing. But they, the deadheads said, we don't care. We're camping. And they decided, well, these seem like peaceful people. So we'll let them stay. So they always kind of made exceptions for a while. I guess they kind of cut it off at a certain point. But, uh, you know, that the post scene at Alpine shows is great because they do let you linger for a little while. You can you can grill your your veggie burger or whatever you want. And I think that's one of the best parts of going to a show up there is, is the pre-show, the show, and then everything afterward. They let you hang out, maybe sober up a little, maybe get your, your wits about you, and then, you know, get on your way. But, yeah, no more camping anymore, but the dead let it happen a few times. Oh, it's so awesome. Well, and I just, I remember, like, laughing at just the whole idea about the camping, how, you know, in the in the early 90s when they started putting out, the San Francisco Chronicle would come out, the arts and entertainment section in the middle, uh-huh. and it would be, you know, everything that's happening, big, small, otherwise, whatever. And I, I, it's like one of my memories from being a teenager laughing at when the Grateful Dead would come to town, it would just be these giant words underneath saying, no camping. <laughs> and, you know, it's the only thing that would happen in the San Francisco Chronicle where they felt the need to tell the people, by the way, guys, no fucking camping. You know, right. like Oakland Stadium, you know, Oakland Coliseum. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's sketchy as fuck out there at the Oakland oh, Coliseum. Yeah. You know, like there's there's no one that's planning to camp at the Oakland Coliseum except for the deadheads and they need to be told not to and i just amazing? love it it's oh, amazing yeah. i mean who would camp at the oakland coliseum i mean a complete 180 from alpine i mean you're you're Alp- this idyllic you know country right. spot you know i mean just such a huge part of the culture because uh yeah i don't think any other group would want to camp at oakland right no and i've, I've <laughs> Off been the 880 there <laughs> Oh my gosh, no. And I've been to an NFL game there before. I know exactly what you're talking about. I stayed at a hotel about a, oh, I don't know, a quarter mile from the stadium one time. And I said, never again. I'll go three miles down the road. I'll take the BART. I'll do whatever I have to do. You know, I'll rent a car. I'm not going to walk to the stadium. No, sketchy as fuck out there. And again, no disrespect to Raider Nation, but I mean, it's really not, you know, like... I yeah. mean, Oakland has cultivated itself as being just that t- 
tough town, you know. It's but, not um, Sausalito. It's not right, exactly. No, yeah. it's not Shoreline. Well, I think the last camping shows on the West Coast, they did, I think Laguna Seca was one of the last ones. They did okay. Laguna Seca, and they did in the late 80s, and they did the Calaveras County. Like, there was some camping, and then they kind of just t- shut that down, too. But Shoreline was always and is always my, my kind of hometown place. And, I yep. mean, there's the lure of Shoreline that it was it was stadium Bill Graham built for the dead, which is so fucking neat now. But, of course, you don't realize it at the time. I mean, when you're a kid, all you know is what you know, you know. So it's so interesting being grown woman living across the country and thinking about shoreline and, and going back. I'm so fortunate to go back last year. And I mean, it really was all blue skies, sunshines and rainbows, you know, and people talk about the California lure of the show and you live on the East coast and you go back and you're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then there's Midwest deadhead, the East coast deadhead, the Southern deadhead, the West coast. They're all going to have different experiences too about the, the venues they visit up, you know, if you go on tour, you're going to see different places and everything. But yeah, that's when I went to college, I had a couple of friends from California who had the same experience. They were deadheads and they had their spots, including Shoreline and places like that. And, and you know, the Greek, they grew up in the eighties and everything. And so, yeah, it just wasn't anything that I was, I just read about these places, you know, yeah. so it wasn't until later that I got to visit them and just that, wow, it would have been cool to see the dead here back in the day. Oh, and it's fun, though, but I love the whole great American travel adventure of it all, though. Like, that yeah. is what's so special. Yeah, I love hearing about the Midwest and, and those days. And I've talked to people about, like, so what do you think, like, makes, like, the differences? And I think, so what I've heard from others, which I, I think that this makes sense, is, you know, the West Coast, we were spoiled. I mean, it was our it was a hometown advantage always, right? It was a home game. They would just show up. They would just play. Yep. They played all the time. I mean, I'd say they probably, between Jerry Garcia playing and the dead, there was probably 15 different sets of somethings during the year. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah. It would be like, try to think, in February, you would have like Mardi Gras, Chinese New Year, you'd have some Jerry shows. Then they would maybe do something in March, you know, in the spring. And then they'd come back for June. Sometimes they'd do August or September. And then there was Halloween. Right. And then there was New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Yep. And then again, Jerry was kind of playing when he wasn't on tour. So, I mean, there was so much. But the East Coast, I mean, you know, they were like a little bit more aggressive, hard edged. They had a lot of fucking shows to go to, too. You know, the New Jersey and New York and Philadelphia. And I mean, I feel like there was there's the East Coast gets a lot of love. Yeah, they would do, you know, kind of a residency at Madison Square Garden. They would do, I think they did one five or six show run at the Boston Garden. Knickerbocker was, uh, you know, believe me, for an indoor venue. Like, I I was lucky enough to see him at the Garden. The Garden is great. I love the Boston Garden, the old Boston Garden. Even hockey sounds bad there, right? I mean, it's not, you don't go there for, like, great acoustics, but... There's an air, you know, you, you know, Bill Walton's in the crowd somewhere, that whole thing. But for me, the Nick was was one of the best. And it opened in like, I want to say, 88, 89. It was like a basketball arena. But when the dead jumped in there in 90, you know, listening to those shows now and having seen other shows there later, that's a fantastic East Coast. So that was always like the secret spot that, that eventually caught on. People realized how great it was. Well, I imagine it's fairly small, right? Like compared yeah. to some of the other places. 20,000 maybe. I don't even know. But yeah, I mean, I saw fish there. I've seen 
I saw Springsteen there. I saw Petty there. I've seen other great shows. It was about three hours. It's not far from you, obviously. In, Al- uh, Albany, right? Yeah, Albany. Just, yeah. So it's, you know, Albany is a weird little town, middle of, you know, upstate New York. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great little spot. I don't know what they call the Pepsi Arena now, I think. But, but back in the day, it was one of the best little music uh, uh, venues. Well, I think the East Coast and the West Coast definitely had the most viable in terms of numbers. But I have to give it to the Midwesterners for the idea of the sheer amount of travel, the effort that went into to go on tour. Like when you talk to the Midwesterners that are going from, you know, Columbus and going to Alpine and going to, you know, like, you know, out to Colorado. Yeah. I mean, there's some serious fucking miles that you're putting in for that. And and that's a whole nother type of deadhead. I love that too, Chicago. You know, I love that it that everyone kind of comes out with their own spirit based on where they're from and, and what their experiences are. Yeah, and they would go, right. I mean, it would take, you know, they could go from Deer Creek to, they, they call it the, I forget what they call it now, the World Amphitheater is what they used to call it, back to Richfield, Ohio. I mean, you know, those are six-hour drives between shows. It's not like they're going from Oakland to San Fran or whatever, you know, and it's not the prettiest drive ever either. You know, these, these summer tours or even fall tours, it would take a little patience rolling through the Midwest when you had to go from Soldier Field to this place up to, you know, maybe to Alpine or one of those places. So, yeah, it was a little more it was a little more legwork required to, to go see your favorite band. But I love it, though, because I think, again, wherever your environment is and whoever you are, you're such a product of where you came from. You know? Oh, sure. Again, I feel like the West Coast is, again, this like personality of just kind of this lazy, slightly entitled kickback. Of course, it happens here attitude. The East Coast, you know, it's like you don't travel as far, but they tend to be a little bit more aggressive about, you know, like about what they're doing. And you know, like you got that like East Coast edge and then you just got the like solid, steady Midwesterners that are just in it for the long game and um i think it speaks to you know our country regionally right oh no doubt you know i grew up with parents who you know we drove every year from boston to chicago for christmas to go visit my family out in chicago and i love being in the i was i was an only child like i had my books in the back seat and all that but you know we'd, we'd play games when i was growing up we'd look at the street signs and everything so i grew up with that travel bug you know i grew up enjoying just looking at the countryside and things like that. I like being in a car for six hours. I don't mind long drives. You know, I drove from Denver to Columbia, Missouri straight, stopping for gas and, and hitting the, the, the men's room. I'm okay with that. I got some good music. I got a, a straight road. Everybody's cool. Let's let's hit it and let's get it done. And, I love yeah. it. And I, yeah, no, I totally agree now. And I, and I love like the perspective of when you're older, I ran into a couple of girls I know from New York that were in from Massachusetts and they were, we, we were cracking up about road trips when you're in your forties versus when you're younger, because it's just time <laughs> away to be able to talk and listen to music and catch up. You know, she said they almost missed the exit like three times because they were so engrossed in catching up with one another. You know, these two close girlfriends in their, you know, in their forties that it was like road trip. You know, yes. like no kids, no work, no bullshit. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, it changes its meaning as your, as your life you know, unfolds for sure. I, I could absolutely handle one of those. I, the closest I've come is some college buddies went to 
a college football game last year. It was a short trip. And it was one of those things like, man, I wish the trip was a little longer. You know, I, I wish it was almost a couple more hours that we had to drive just so we could get that time that you're talking about. Yeah, just the catching up and all that. Right on. Well, so let's well, let's go back. We're going we're going all the way back to the next day. Right. <laughs> so we're going all the way back and we're going to the Saturday show because this is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday run. And yep. um, there you picked a little string of songs for the next one because as a like, classic deadhead fashion, I asked you for three and you gave me five. Of so course. we will play five. So anybody who doesn't want to hear this beautiful string of songs, you could just hit the little fast forward. But of course, right. you will want to hear them. Tell us what we are going to listen to next. Yeah, this is the middle shows you said and, and first of all this is a really good first set too i mean like touch of gray fine whatever but it's a good touch of gray jack straw opener i think the friend of the devil is one of the best versions they've ever done i mean i even going back to like the you know the 70s versions and all that and bird song is fantastic promised land closes out the first set so check out the first set i would i would give that a listen the second set is really really good too and truth be told, I'm just, I'm not a Sugar Mag guy. It's not my favorite song. Don't hate it. Don't love it. Don't, you know, it is what it is. But I chose this little trio because the, the transition from a short Sugar Mag directly into Scarlet is great. I mean, they don't miss a beat. You know, it's like seamless transition that you absolutely, I think, have to hear. It's thrilling. I think even the crowd gets caught off guard a little bit. Uh, and then, of course, we're used to having Fire on the Mountain. It sounded like maybe Jerry kind of, you listen very closely, you can kind of hear Jerry kind of maybe indicate that he wasn't ready to sing a third straight one. So Bob jumps in. It's a great surprise out of Scarlet. Not a perfect transition, but kind of a cool little tack on there at the end. Again, it's it's three very interesting songs and a very good show. This is a great Phil show, too. I, Phil sounds so good. And the third song is Women Are Smarter. And women are smarter, right? Women and it's are a, smarter. It's, that's a fun Bobby song. You got to throw that in there, I think. And I know I've picked a lot of covers so far, but no, yeah. no. I mean, you know what? I love. There is no such thing as a cover. You know, like know, the music right. belongs to all it of us. Cover. And yeah. I think I, I actually really love that. And and I have to say again, I'm a little high on Wednesday and my two days ago my experience, and even just down in Mexico. And we've talked about this so much with some friends. I mean, there's there's a very cool women vibe going on in this community right now. Right. And I love that this tough male sportscaster picked the sugar mag scarlet into women are smarter. I mean, right. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely one for the ladies, this trio, you know, That's for true, sure. Stacey, I'm thinking about you and yeah. you. Right. It's, yeah. All about the girls. It's all about the girls. It's a very like strong female trio for me, for sure. Uh -huh. I mean, scarlet can go either way, but sugar mag and, um, and uh, women are smarter. I feel have like a very uh, strong female anthem to them, right? Oh sure. So uh, right on. Well, let's go enjoy those, and then we'll we'll be back for some more.
So back from listening to the super amped uh, female power music trio of Sugar Magnolias, Scarlet Begonias, and Women Are Smarter. And wow, I mean, those are, again, those are three of my favorite. I mean, I love them, but no, I'm a girl. <laughs> Guys have sensitive sides, too. You got to have a little, a little sugar to go with a little salt, you know, to balance it out. Absolutely. Well, I sing, I sing uh, Women Are Smarter with my daughter. I have an eight-year-old daughter. and That's one that I can kind of loop her into a little bit sometimes. Yeah. My, my daughter, I have, t- I have twins. I have a boy and a girl who are a little old, a little, they're three years old right now. I, I think that's going to be her song. She's not into the dead yet. My son likes it. He's kind of doing it. But I think if there's one song she can resonate with, it's going to be Women Smarter. That's good. Oh yeah, there's a there's a lot to be said for that, and I mean, and I can always go for a, a Scarlet Begonias because you know, strangers stopping strangers. I feel yep. like I have somehow um, I've edged in a little bit, having that be my handle in um, in my virtual world. So you know, I always feel like they're singing it to me when they sang it last of night. It was, it was funny. They came out second set with it last night, and we were on our way to go to the bathroom during the second set, and I ended up having to hold it all the way till space. Uh, like I heard it coming out and I'm like, eh, <laughs> you know, like, the bathroom can wait. The bathroom yep. can wait. Scar- the, the Scarlet fire is not going anywhere, but the bathroom will be waiting and there'll be no line afterwards. So Absolutely. I, That's the way you got to do. You got to power through these things. I totally relate to you on that one. Raced right back in. And, uh, and I'm loving fire right now. I was talking to my friend I was driving in with on it. And I mean, it's, it, it goes without saying that all songs, you know, transcend our lives. And, you know, these lyrics were pulled from, you know, inspiration that continues to change throughout our lives, our journeys. And I've been so into Fire on the Mountain as like this time in my life. And it always makes me wonder, what were they thinking when, you know, what was, what was Robert Hunter thinking? What was the, what was the impetus behind it? Because to me, it's, it's such a middle-aged life, (laughs) you know? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. It's one that like, you know, I was always the big scarlet guy and I loved the jam into Fire in the Mountain. And, I, and it's weird to think that like at a, at a certain point in my life, I, early on, early on, I sort of thought like Fire in the Mountain's great. Yeah, it's a good sing along, blah, 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 and all that. I don't think I appreciated the payoff, you know, at the end of a great long scarlet fire of just a majestic fire and what it could be. And, and like you said, I mean, like you start thinking about the words and, and sort of what it means and. You know, it, it's a it's a deeper song than than it probably gets credit for because of its sort of simplicity and everything. And so, it's just I was always a scarlet guy first and a fire guy second, and now I'm I'm balancing that out a little bit more. So I know I skipped it on that one, but I'm glad you brought it up. And and my favorite fire actually didn't come with a scarlet. It was one that uh, was at the Boston Garden. They did help Slipknot, and right when you think they're going to go into Franklin's. Bruce Hornsby is the one who brought it up, too. He's the one who was he was kind of pissed at Jerry at set break. And he said, come on, guys, this is this is annoying. We you know, we got to do something different. He's like, all right, how about help Slipknot fire? And Jerry was like, all right, fine. At least that's how the story goes. So that's awesome. Oh, and they it's a 91 show worth checking out. Anyway, that's that one's one of my favorites because it just it's spine tingling. It's it's shocking how like thrilling it is. And it's got peaks and bounds and just it's you know that that's one that kind of put me over the top on that one well i think we just get used to our formulas and we come to expect them and i think it's fun when it can get mixed up i think it was oh gosh i don't remember what the set list was but there was something really unusual at shoreline last year where they did 
I, you know what, I don't, I'm, I can't even recall what it was, but it was something that was a, a really unusual mix. And, and again, Fire on the Mountain, I mean, I think all the songs in general, like it's, it's really hard to really, to be able to get a straight answer, nor do I even really want a straight right. answer. I mean, I, I kind of like the mystique of it coming from the ether and where, you know, I don't really need anything tangible behind the lyrics. Oh yeah. I, I think you're right. And, and that's part of that kind of that self-discovery a little bit and and you know and yeah, yeah get up get out get out of the door like it's this chaotic kind of crazy time and like how do you kind of ease through it right i think so and and you know it's so easy to get you know, to slip into some some patterns in your life and if we're going on that theme a little bit too and, and just sort of thinking like yeah sometimes it's okay to break free a little bit and to get out of your rut and, and to pay attention to what's going on around you a little bit and, and oh by the way there's a fire in the mountain man you know and, and that's i don't know that's exactly the interpretation that hunter meant but i love the fact that there is that that personal flexibility with his songs where you can read it in a certain way and that may or may not have been the way he intended but there's enough kind of leeway there where okay you got that from that that's fine that's good you know and that's that's the theme of the song which is life is an experience so you're all going to sort of see it through different things whether it's a disaster happening you can look at it on the positive side or whether it's something good happening you can actually say well you know let's let's not be too excited about it because that's i think sort of the bottom line of that song. yeah no and i love just the whole interpretation part of it. And I love that it's so beautiful the way it can transcribe to me to be able to kind of, again, have there be like a bit of a mantra or something that I can hold on to. That was something totally different than whatever he was probably envisioning when they wrote it. I mean, you know what, almost 50 years ago. Yeah. And I, there's a story ago. about, wasn't Mickey Hart in a studio or something? And there was, there was literally a fire going on outside and it kind of, it kind of spawned the idea and they took it from there, I think. And then I believe years later they played it during one of the eruptions of Mount St. Helens. They Ellen. did. I mean, yeah. that is an awesome story. I had, I shared that with my son because I always try and teach my kids, yeah, there's some magic around the dead. And they're like, uh -huh. wah, 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 wah. Yeah. And so he was learning about Mount St. Helens. And I was like, well, you know they played it during the second eruption and everybody yep. came outside. It was in Portland and their their cars were covered with ash. And it was at the <laughs> exact same time that they did. It wasn't the original one, but it was the, the aftershock or right. whatever they call it with, uh, with eruptions with um, volcanoes. And it was the, the largest after eruption and yeah, everyone had ashes all over their cars and it happened the eruption happened at the exact time of the second set that they went into fire on the mountain can you imagine that i mean or, or imagine being you know under the influence of whatever at that time and coming out and seeing that and thinking back oh my god that 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 just happened you know so that you're right the magic around the dead the, the funny little things that happen over the years like that the the strange, curious uh, coincidences that maybe they're not. Who knows? I think there's magic. I I believe I believe in the magic of the dead, and I will I will I will preach it to anyone yeah. who will listen to me. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll preach it. Well, speaking of magical songs, your next song from the Alpine list is one that is, I mean, really 
I mean, something that is uh, that people have prayed to, I'm sure, which is praying to the do, chasing the do, the best do. So tell everybody a little bit about the next song that we are going to listen to. Morning Dew, I mean, I would say it's in my top three. I, it may be one of my favorite, you know, just songs to chase and hear. It was always one that was special, and Terrapin was too, and it, they played Terrapin a few songs before this, so... This is the third night of that 89 run, the final dead show ever. And, you know, even if you think the first two nights overall are better, I will say this. Listen, I just recently re-listened to the entire show. The sound quality of this one is exceptional. And, and Alpine was known for their great sound. Again, that wood amphitheater had, like, the acoustics of the hill and or the mountain and everything. You know, whoever was running the tapes that night figured it out by night three. And they had beautiful sound. So... It's a great show. The first set has some, some special. Uh, Althea and Deal are both great. Box of Rain, Foolish Heart is really good, too. And they play the Terrapin. But by the end of the set, they roll into Morning Dew. And I'm picky with my Morning Dews. You know, I have a high bar set, as I'm sure you do, too. And I think this one is It's not going to go in the all-time top three or four. But I think it's just outside of that. It's certainly of, of that era, one of the better ones. It crescendos it comes back down it hits another peak later it's just a really really inspired version so i i like this one a lot let's hit it with the morning dew and then we'll be back with one more song and a little goodbye
listening to Morning Dew, and we have, well, we have one more song. It's an encore <laughs> song. So I think we should just, like, go out as an encore. I want an encore because I didn't get an encore last night. So I'm, I want an encore because I got gypped <laughs> on my encore on the Mansfield opening run. So this will be the encore to the podcast to, to make up for that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good thing, and, and it's an interesting era. This is uh, we're going back now. We were getting breaking free of our '89 uh, run there, so this is back to eight eight eighty two. And this is, I think, I think it was the week Garcia turned forty. So even though he looked sixty at the time, I believe Jerry had just turned sixty uh, during this little run, and this would have been like the second or third time they ever played Alpine. So eighty two isn't exactly like everybody's favorite year, but to me, it's a little underrated, and I think this is, you know, his voice is still fairly strong, and there's, I know this is a Bobby song, but but this is a good little a little uh, show here, a sneaky little show. There was a Dick's Picks, I think, from the night before or the night after, I can't remember, but this, uh, I wanted to get this tune in there, especially because if you listen carefully, the satisfaction contains a cool little verse that previews a song that they had never played before, Right around the four-minute mark, they play Wang Dang Doodle. They Bobby sings a, a, a verse of Wang Dang, and I don't think they would play it for like another year or two after that. So while you're listening, pay attention. Bobby drops in the Wang Dang Doodle song, which is an old blues song, but uh, they got John Cipollina on guitar. You can hear him kind of plucking away through halfway through. This is uh, this is one of my favorite songs that they didn't play a lot, but Satisfaction is, is just a really cool treat that they would drop in every now and then and uh, this is a good one from 82. Fantastic well it's something that I had never heard before so I'm really excited to experience it myself and good. uh yeah no thank you so much I you know, I would have been thrilled to hear it last night <laughs> so <laughs> right. bitter deadhead no encore over here. Get Bobby to sing it the way he does during this song you, you'd be you'd be on to something here this is a, he, he has a lot of fun with it so this is this is a cool little uh, slice out of an era that I don't ever really you know dip into that much but I'm glad I did on this one fantastic and I know you are gonna catch the Alpine dead and company shows later this summer yeah Lee yeah it's it's up in the air exactly how that's gonna work I've got a couple of little uh, things that are going on that week so it's gonna be tricky but you know we deadheads, we're creative, right? We gotta we gotta work our schedule and, and massage things in a certain way and, and find a find a way to make it work. But they're playing two nights, twenty second and twenty third, I believe, up at Alpine. And so I'm gonna at least go to one. I may not get to both, but yes, I'm excited to see uh, the boys and I guess we call them that still. But yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun little uh, two night run. Uh, well, fantastic. Hopefully I will meet you on the run. Yes. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for, you know, coming to Stranger Stopping Strangers and sharing some tales and stories. And uh, can't wait to get this out there. Definitely uh, would love to uh, meet up at a show and, uh, yes. and do a little dancing. Absolutely. Well, this is just talking about it. This is my satisfaction. Now, the real satisfaction, as you know, is being out there listening to the music. So hopefully our paths will cross and I'm and I can't wait for that day. All right. Sounds good, man. All right. Thank you. Bye. Stacy. Bye.
This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com. Alex.com.